Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We want to start today by talking about the stock market and some investing questions that I've been asked recently. So we're looking at market data for the week ending January 22nd, 2020. And if you're listening to this late and you forgot the significance of the week, January 20th was our inauguration date. And so we have a new Biden administration in place. We have a Democratic House majority. We have a Senate Democratic majority by the slimmest of Kamala Harris margins. And a lot of people are asking what that means for the market. And really, no one's completely sure. Because to a certain extent, it will be nice for the market if some stimulus can get pushed through. Markets always like things that go into them that cause them to function better. And certainly there's been a lot of talk of stimulus recently. However, the markets don't like regulation, and there's likely to be an increase in regulation as some of the financial practices under the Trump administration get rolled back. So what I would say is that really no one knows where the market's going to go. You want to listen to the show, and we'll try to help you understand things as they become more clear. But last week, the markets did just fine. The Dow Jones Industrial Average went up 0.59%, while the S&P 500 went up just a little less than 2%. The NASDAQ, in its typical fashion of late, went up a little over 4%. Even gold got in on the act, going up 1.52%. And West Texas Intermediate Crude, as the front month, went up 7.62%. The Treasury yield was slightly down, as was the dollar. But what I really want to talk about today is a question that I have been asked over and over and over, almost by everyone who talks to me. So even though this isn't the Ask Peggy segment of the show, we're going to start the show with a question that I have been asked constantly related to the markets. And that question is, what do I think of Bitcoin. And everyone right now seems to be interested in cryptocurrencies. And there's really no surprise given that the cryptocurrency market was up 700% from its March lows as of a couple of weeks ago. And 700% gets everybody's attention. That was just about the time the questions started getting asked to me. However, since that time, it's down about 20%. Now, I taped this show on Monday. I'm taping it on January 25th. And the reason that that matters is because it's Bitcoin and it can fluctuate by 10% a day. So when I'm giving you the numbers, don't really think they're current because Bitcoin's so incredibly volatile. But 700% down, we know that's right. 
Over the last two weeks, it's down 20%. Just last week alone, as of the time that I got the data, it had been down 11% that week. Now, the question becomes, is Bitcoin going to continue going up as the Bitcoin bulls would have you believe, or is it due a pullback? And one of the things to realize, again, is we have a new administration. And Janet Yellen, who's going to be the new, the new U.S. Treasury Secretary, has already said she's really concerned that cryptocurrencies could be used to finance illegal activities. And I hate to disappoint her, but she's a little late to the party because one of the things that cryptocurrencies have been used for already are any kind of black market, difficult to trace, no real governmental way of tracking the money, which tends to be illegal operations. So it's already an issue, and Janet Yellen is expressing that she's concerned about it and is planning on making it more of an issue. So let me tell you what I think about Bitcoin. Now, this is not investment advice, and I'm not telling you not to buy Bitcoin, but I am going to point out some of my issues with it and just give you something to consider, maybe talk to your own financial professional, and more than anything, just be very careful that you're staying diversified. It's so easy when something has gone up 700% in 10 months to think, wow, I think I'll buy more. And the danger of that is getting into the bubble at the very top of it. And then it goes down and it goes down and it goes down and you can really get badly hurt. So if you're interested in Bitcoin, the only, I'm not going to call it friendly advice, I'm going to just call it a mild suggestion. Don't go all in. Let it be a piece of your portfolio, but but don't go Bitcoin crazy and get it overloaded in your portfolio. And then the second thing is before you buy anything, be absolutely sure you completely understand it. And Bitcoin's a bit obtuse. It's really difficult to understand all of the details of it. And by the way, I'm using the term Bitcoin really is just a substitute for any cryptocurrency. Bitcoin right now is the popular one, but certainly this would apply to any cryptocurrency and quite frankly, any investment in your portfolio. Always diversify, always understand it. But I have some other issues with Bitcoin. And my biggest problem with Bitcoin is I'm not completely sure what it thinks it is. When you talk to people who are Bitcoin aficionados, they say that it's an asset. Well, that's good, but it's an asset that is backed by the full faith and credit of the people who believe in it and absolutely nothing else. If you're old enough to remember the dot-com crash, you may remember the analysts telling you, oh, we're investing on earnings potential. Earnings are so 19th century. We don't need them anymore. We're going to go ahead and invest on projected earnings. And lo and behold, companies need earnings. Now, when you buy a stock, you're buying a piece of a company. When you buy a bond, you're making a loan to something tangible. 
When you buy Bitcoin, yes, there's only so much of it, apparently, but you're buying what everybody thinks it's worth. And there's nothing underneath that. You know, the U.S. dollar is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. And however flaky that might be from time to time, it's still an incredibly powerful backstop. Bitcoin is backed by nothing other than what a group of people thinks it, think it's worth. It reminds me a little bit of the tulip bubble where people just went tulip crazy and decided that tulips were assets and they were going for insane amounts of money. And it worked right until people were like, now, wait a minute, why do I want to own a tulip? And the bubble burst and a lot of people got really hurt. And so I really think you just need to be careful with it. Also, the very volatility of it makes it a strange currency. If I'm going to spend, say, $100,000 on a small apartment, and that currency is fluctuating by 10, 20% a week, I could either get the deal of a lifetime or I could get completely shafted. And I don't want that to happen. So until they lessen out the volatility, I don't see how this is a currency that actually trades unless it's a doomsday scenario where you have no choice or you're conducting illegal activity and it's your cost of doing business. And I know a lot of people are buying Bitcoin for a doomsday plan. But one of the issues that I think people aren't realizing is you can only do business with people who are relatively tech savvy. When you get out into rural America, there are a lot of people with safes of cash and they do business in cash and they're not going to go buy a cryptocurrency. So even in a very dire situation, I find it difficult to believe that Bitcoin is what people are going to turn to. I also think before it's allowed to do anything tremendously mainstream, there's going to be government regulation put on it. The Bitcoin users say they can't do that. Maybe the government can't, but it might have certain transactions you simply can't do in Bitcoin. And if you have to use a second currency, I don't see people using two currencies. So if you can't use only Bitcoin, I don't see how this becomes anything much more than a super popular fad. So what's my takeaway? I'm not going to be a killjoy. I'm not going to tell you not to buy Bitcoin. I will tell you what I tell people when they want to buy something kind of risky. And it's like, okay, if you went to Vegas, what would you be willing to spend? Because Bitcoin may be the buy of a lifetime. I don't know. I don't want to rob you of that opportunity. I also don't want you to get taken to the cleaners if it crashes. So think about what you could afford to lose. Think about it being a part of a diversified portfolio and make your decisions from there. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I sort of broke the first piece of news in the last segment when I said that Janet Yellen has been tapped to be Treasury Secretary. And the reason that's cool is she used to be the chair of the Federal Reserve. She was the first woman chair of the Federal Reserve in the United States, and she will be the first woman Treasury Secretary. And I know they were working on her confirmation last week. I don't think it's complete yet, 
but there's no reason to think that she won't go ahead and be approved. So Janet Yellen will be the Treasury Secretary, and that's always an interesting role because of the impact that that cabinet position has on the stock market. And like I said, she had been Fed chair ahead of that. And so this is certainly an area that she's got a lot of knowledge about. We're also going to have a new Securities and Exchange Commission head, which are the SEC, and that person is Gary Gensler. Now, Gary Gensler is an interesting choice because he is much more concerned with consumer protection and potentially the fiduciary standard than what we've seen in a while. Now, I was reading an article this weekend by Michael Kitsis, who thinks that the SEC isn't going to immediately move to overturn regulation best interest. And I suspect, although Kitsis didn't say so, it has a lot to do with the number of things that the administration is trying to deal with all at once. And however important dealing with regulation best interest or Reg BI might be, it probably isn't going to be able to have the full attention of as many people as it would need to get some changes just now. So I would expect that to be adjusted later this year. But the good news about Gensler is he helped craft the Dodd-Frank financial reform law. And so remember Dodd-Frank was what came out after um, the 2008 Eight, I believe, financial crisis. And so it was a way of trying to be sure that financial institutions were behaving themselves. And because of that, he's kind of got the reputation as being a little bit anti-Wall Street. However, I did some more reading over the weekend that says that that's really probably not true He's just trying to level the playing field a little bit. He is a former Goldman Sachs banker, so he's going to understand how the system works, but he is going to also have a real eye to the consumer. And if you listen to this show, you know that that's a really important characteristic that I like for people to have, because when the markets are running well and everyone is being able to participate in them fully... I think the economy is stronger. I think it's better for the stock market at the end of the day because it puts a surer foundation underneath it. And you've got a better idea that the gains that you're getting aren't going to be something that are just going to be wiped away because they're just simply happening out of a bubble. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And before we start with this week's topic, I want to let you know, yes, I know this is radio. Yes, I know you're probably listening to this while you're driving in the car and you can't take notes. Remember that you can always subscribe to my podcast if you'd like to hear things again, which is Ask Peggy Doviak About Your Finances. It's available on iTunes and CastBox. But I promise not to make this segment so wonky that you change the channel because I'm driving you crazy. But again, if we're looking at questions that I get asked absolutely all the time, this is probably one of the top 
five questions that I'm asked. It might even be one of the top three. And so I want to go over it with you, not so much so you understand how to do every single step of it, but just simply so you know the steps exist. And so with this great lead in, what I want to talk to you about today is figuring out how much money you need to have saved for retirement. Most of us aren't in the market because it's fun. Most of us are in the market because we have to be in the market because if we don't invest our money, we don't have enough of it when we're ready to retire to have enough cash. So it isn't like most of us are market participants by choice. Some people think it's fun. I used to think it was more fun than I do anymore. I still think it's pretty fun, but I have to say that I see the market as a tool these days, really more than something that's all that fun and exciting and, wow, gee, what's it going to do today? You know, it's more of like, oh, geez, what's it going to do today? <laughs> so we have to be in the market usually to have enough money to retire. And that begins to create some complications. So what I'd like to start out with here is telling you that before you can decide how much money you need to retire, you need to know how much you spend right now. And if you haven't done a cash flow analysis, I hate to say this, but you don't know how much money you spend. Because if you just try to estimate your bills, you're going to underestimate them. I have literally, in 17 years, never had anyone overestimate their bills. So you've got to write down what you spend. That includes eating out. That includes your spending money. You know, that also includes buying a new car because I've had people come in and they're 64 and they're like, well, my car's paid off, so I'm not going to have to deal with that. And so I'll say, do you think you might still be driving in your 80s? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm going to drive in my 80s. It's like, how long do you plan on driving that car? So as you're trying to think about what you spend, you want to try to think about all of the details. Now, the next thing to look at is how is that spending going to be adjusted when you reach retirement age? If your house is going to be paid off, maybe the mortgage falls off. Maybe you want to do more traveling. That would be an expense. Maybe your medical bills are going to be a little bit higher, and maybe you don't have work expenses. Now, here's one reason why I think that this topic is worth the time I'm giving it. I see a lot of people get the advice of, oh, you're going to spend 80% of what you do now when you're in retirement. And I, I hate to burst that bubble because it's so easy and it's so clean and you can calculate it in 15 seconds. I wish it were right. I have seen people spend more money in retirement than they did when they were working. And I've seen it happen for two reasons. One is maybe they've just been really careful their whole lives and they want to travel. They want to go out and they want to do things. The second thing that can happen is medical. You know, you can control the travel, but you can't control the medical. And so just assuming that your bills are going to drop and you're going to spend 80% of what you spent in pre-retirement money, don't do that. You need to think it out more. My guess is that 80% is too low of an amount. Now, for the next step, you're going to need a financial planner 
or a financial calculator. And you need to figure out how much that money today is going to cost you in however many years from now you're retiring. Because remember, inflation compounds year over year at, if you take the long-term average, 3%. So this year it's 100%, next year it's 103%, then that 103% gets compounded by 3%. And so very rapidly, that money you think you need today isn't going to be sufficient. And remember, your job is to be the pessimist right now. It's not to look and say, but Peggy, inflation's only a percent and a half. I'm going to use that as my number. Okay, that's great, right until it doesn't work. So I want you to go ahead and use the 3%. Worst case scenario, you've saved a little bit much, but it's a much better problem to have than forgetting to inflate it at all. So that's how much you're going to need every month in retirement. Now you subtract off any pensions or social security benefits that you're going to get. So maybe you need $5,000 a month. Maybe you get $1,000 a month in social security. So your need is really four. Maybe you get a pension that's $1,000. Now your need is really three. And you know, maybe you need a lot more than that too, but just take, all of the income you're going to receive off of what your need is, and that difference is how much you have to save. Now, for the next step, here's something that's really important that you've got to remember, because you're going to look at your current account values, and you're going to inflate them forward by your growth rate of the accounts. And I've seen a lot of calculators that just use an assumed growth rate. The problem with that is if your risk tolerance level has you in a growth rate lower than the one you assume for this calculation, you are never going to get there from here. So the first thing you've got to do is look at how your actual performance has been doing. Now understand past performance is no guarantee of future performance. I, I'm not saying it is, and you know that's not what I mean. But if you're conservative and you're only making 3% and your financial, your retirement calculator had you making 8%, you're not going to get there. So you've got to make sure that the growth rate of the account equals the growth rate that matches your risk tolerance. So again, using a CFP professional or a calculator, you're going to want to figure out at the growth rate, how much will your accounts be worth when you're 65? If you're putting more money in, how much is that going to be worth when you're 65? Again, remembering to make your growth rates match. So that gives you then how much money you've got when you start retirement and that lump sum of money needs to make up the difference that you had when you took how much you're going to spend minus what you're going to get. Now, remember that compounding here really works to your advantage. Because let's say you need $3,000 to make up the difference a month. If you go out 20 years from 65 to a life expectancy of 85 or 25 years to 90 or 30 years to 95, the amount of money you need to have saved to meet that last year's need right now is very small because it's going to continue to grow over the next 30 years to meet that need. 
So this is kind of a tricky step. You want to remember to include your growth rate. You want to remember to take off inflation because you're going to have offsetting forces. You're going to have growth and you're going to have inflation. And you'll be able to calculate again, I, I would call in that CFP Pro at this point, how much money a month you can count on having from that difference. So that you take the amount, you calculate what it's going to be, and that'll let you know how much money you have every month. What do you do if it's not enough? Basically, you've got three choices. Number one, you can save a lot of disasters by deferring retirement for a couple of years. Two, maybe you take a little bit more risk in the portfolio. Be really careful with this choice. And three, save more money now. Don't wait until the year you're retiring to see if this has worked out. I get that call a lot. Hey, I'm retiring in six months. I want to make sure I'm okay. Would have been way better to have done that 10 years ago. So if you're thinking you want to retire in 10 or 15 years, figure out now what you have to save. It's going to make the process a lot less painless and much more possible. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the actual Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember, if you'd like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you'll find the button to submit your question. Then I'll get in contact with you and make sure that I have all the information that I need to give a good answer. And then I'll craft an educational answer for our listeners so they're never going to be investment advice questions like, should I buy Apple? Because I can't answer that on the radio because I don't know enough about your situation. But the question today is a really good example of the kind of question that you can send me. And the question is, Peggy, when are Roth IRA distributions income tax-free? And there's a lot of confusion about when a Roth IRA distribution is tax-free. Remember that a Roth is funded in after-tax dollars. Then, if you follow the rules, you're able to not pay any income taxes on the growth. So, after-tax basis, income tax-free growth. But in order to get that, the two main rules are you can't take any growth out of the Roth for five years and you can't take out the growth before you're 59 and a half. So what you want to do is fund a Roth as early as you can so that the five-year rule isn't an issue because it's five years from the date of the first Roth IRA that you opened. So if you opened one in your 20s but didn't do very much with it, and then you have, a, you have money now in your 40s and you want to go ahead and fund it, your start date is actually your 20s. Or let's say you're 56. If you had one when you were in your 20s, you've met the five-year rule already. So as soon as you're 59 and a half, you can take that growth out income tax-free. Now, remember, with a Roth, you can always take out the basis with no tax penalties because you've already paid income tax on it. 
It's one reason why I like this for young savers is the idea of having their money tied up until they're 59 and a half can be really scary. But you can withdraw any of the principal you put into a Roth IRA. The IRS doesn't care. You simply can't take out the growth. So it's very important to keep good records so you can tell how much money you put in. Then never take out more money than that. That way your growth is staying income tax-free when you actually take the distributions. Of course, in a perfect world, you don't use an IRA as a revolving cash store anyhow. You go ahead and you fund it and you leave it alone. But sometimes life happens and it's really important to know what the rules are so you can make the financial decisions that will help you prosper the most in accomplishing your goals. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>